Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here and welcome to another episode of Music on the Run. It's absolutely beautiful here in Minneapolis now and I'm standing outside of my childhood home. There's a good reason for that. My next guest, uh, not only is he an incredible uh, studio musician and uh, first call keyboard player to go on tours all over the world with all the biggest artists, he happens to be my brother and we grew up here. Ricky Peterson is my guest on Music on the Run. And that's next. Before we get going here today, I'd be remiss if I didn't chat a little about what is going on in the world today. Crazy times for all of us. And I want to give a shout out to the people on the front line, of course, our doctors, nurses, healthcare people, but also the people at the grocery store, the hardware store, at the restaurants, the delivery people, and I want to give special love to the people in the hospitality business, musicians, event planners. It's been such an unprecedented time in our history and such a brutal time for self-employed people especially. Anyway, my love goes out to you. I know we'll make it through this. Please be safe. I wish your family's health, love, and thank you again for spending an hour with us. All right, back to business. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor, wherever you got this podcast, please go back there, leave us a rating, and how about leaving us a review as well? And what that does is it raises awareness so more people can come to the party and enjoy this podcast as well. We'd also love to have you along for the ride as our partner. You want to help us put on this show? Go to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast and you can financially support all aspects of this podcast you get a lot of cool stuff in return all the information's on that site and we sure would appreciate it okay on to the interview Hey everybody, St. Paul here, and welcome to another episode of Music on the Run. My guest today is the first call keyboard player, not only in the studio, but also as a touring musician. Yes. Um, he's a solo artist, he's a producer, he's a writer, and uh, he happens to be my big brother. Welcome, Ricky Peterson. No, to the thanks, program. brother. Thank Hi, you brother. for inviting me. It's my brother. <laughs> Doing yeah. a podcast. Cheers to so, you. What's cheers. going on? Well, this is awful good. I like your podcast. Yeah, it's really thanks. fun, man. You did a great job with everybody so far. Yeah, well, you, you got to hear this because yeah. last week we did a, a contest and I asked the listener base, who do they want to see me interview next? And the resounding result was my brother, Ricky Peterson. <laughs> That's so weird, man. That's great. Wow. What are you doing to keep yourself busy on the COVID watch here? <sighs> yeah, you know. Hunkering down, I'm I'm home and uh, staying home and doing what I can to you know to help out other people and uh, uh, making music, man, as much as possible. You know, and, well, we got, uh, we have to share the story, yeah, because we were in New York. Oh doing, yeah, that's right. We were in New York on March 12th, right before uh, this stuff went crazy. He was doing a gig at the Beacon Theater, and I was down at the Iridium, and. We ended up flying home together the next day. We had planned right. on... Uh, I believe it was the 12th, March 12th. Is that 12th. what it was? 
March 12th, we were there. That was right when it started. And yeah, and then we flew home on the 13th. Right. I remember having to, yeah. you know, just to cover our butts in case they were going to shut down flights. We didn't right. know we what We wanted was to going get on. out right away. We rented a car <laughs> yeah. in case to, to drive back to Minneapolis right. from, from New York, but we didn't end up having to do that. So. After that, New York absolutely shut down, and I, yeah. I, I know that you and I kind of were, were concerned about that, and so we kind of quarantined for a couple what, of weeks. First of all, first we both did a different gigs right. on the same night. Paul played at the Iridium and uh, with the Minneapolis Funk All Stars, St. Paul and the Minneapolis Funk All Stars, and I played with the New York Rocks. No, uh, Love Rocks New York. It was called. Eat that mic a little bit more, yeah. brother. I'm not yeah, getting yeah. good level on you. Okay. Anyways, um, uh, Love Rocks New York, was a, which is a... Uh, um, thank you. I'm the only anyway. crew member here today, so I'm running cameras. One, two, three, and I got Pro Tools you running in the my, background. I got my good side on that side to see. Thank you very much. Well, we, we want to make sure that we can hear you. So yeah, that's I right. didn't want to go through an hour and it not be working. So Right on. What, what, what were you saying? I'm not saying you, nothing. Why don't we, <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> I'm sure it was boring. We were uh, in New York together. We played at two different places in the same night, and Paul played the Iridium right. with the St. Paul and the Minneapolis All-Stars, yep. Funk All-Stars, right. and I played uh, Love Rocks New York at the Beacon Theater. Right. And and we were, there's so many people were around at that time. And, you know, you never know, um, you know, a few people got ill. Hopefully they didn't get the COVID, but, uh, you know. Right. Uh, but uh, we all kind of survived that and, and dodged some bullets. So that was pretty amazing to come home and not be sick with anything, man. You Thank know, because God. it really hit the shit hit the fan hard, man. You know, New York was the yeah, or still is at yeah. this point. No, it's like the it's the, the thing, epicenter. Man. Yeah. So, anyways. But uh, anyways, I'm glad to be here with you, and this um, is fun, man. This so I is get my great... brother, I find my first family member. <laughs> I get on the the show yeah. final. We will get the rest of the family members on here. I think okay, we should good. do a we should do a whole complete, family thing. Yeah, exactly yeah, be right. Be great. But since you were requested, that's awfully cool. We want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your career, and we want to talk to you about what you just got done doing. Why don't we start there? You just sure. spent two years. I did with Fleetwood Mac. I did. How did that all transpire? <laughs> well, you know, uh, Fleetwood Mac, they, they oh, have by some... By the way, I'm sporting. Yes, you are. Thank you for that, sporting by the gear way. that he gave me. <laughs> um, they've had some drama in their history, and uh, and in this particular case, uh, they hired a couple of new, brand new um, main members uh, as uh, Mike Campbell on guitar and Neil Finn from Crowded House. For lead singing, and in the interim, they hired me because I've been playing with Stevie Nicks for the last thirteen years. Wow, that's right. And uh, mm -hmm. and so it just happened that it, it all kind of coincided together when they were rehearsing and auditioning. I guess they're oh, auditioning okay. people, and I was there when they were auditioning people. We were all. Uh, in Hawaii. I'm sorry about that. But. So you were auditioning people in the worst possible <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah. we were there, and I was there, and I happened to be on vacation, so they asked me to come and help, and and uh, all the, the puzzle pieces came together, and I was able to go and be the keyboard player for Fleetwood Mac, man, along with, of course, Christine McVie. Of course. Yeah. So So how does that work out? Do you Does she tell you what to play, or does, does it kind of... How does that all translate? You know what? I sit and listen to what she's playing, first of all. I think that's the biggest thing because that's she is the keyboard player. She's the main keyboard player that's done all the records and done everything. And what you do is you 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 
you support her, you know, I'm supporting God. her and I'm in the background doing what I do and, and is whatever she doesn't want to do, I'll do, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's really fun, man. I had a ball doing it because it was just, it, and we love each other. Everybody in that band had so much love for each other. It was unbelievable. Wow. You know, there was no animosity towards anybody. So I, everybody was just like, and everybody played their butts off, man. It was unbelievable. We had such a great band or we have such a great band. But obviously, it's not happening right now. But hopefully, it'll happen again soon. You know. So every tour is shut down. Everything is shut down. Um, there is talk of maybe doing a few Stevie gigs uh, at the end of the year coming up. I'm not sure. Fingers yes, crossed. please. Right. And of course, there's other things happening. Studio stuff is happening all the time. We're able to do, you know, like Paul and I are doing some uh, some work from our homes and and. Uh, and luckily, we uh, we were together in uh, New York, so we we so can, can kind of together. Out. We can kind of hang out a little right. bit. Yeah, but so we're we're four feet. Sorry, not six feet. <laughs> no, so but, but no we, letters, please. Oh, we'll get the letters anyway. But <laughs> we've been together since the whole thing broke out. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. What so, are you gonna do? And uh, luckily, we haven't. You know, we didn't get sick. So, anyways, um, and all that all that aside, uh, we're hoping that music will start. You know. As soon as October, I'm hoping, you know, going out and doing some other things. Well, I think that you're working on some virtual music things, and I'm working on virtual mm -hmm. music things that everybody's doing videos now, you know, that is going out on YouTube and what have you. And, right. You know, so, I mean, that's great because you you turned me on to a couple with, with uh, who, who was it that we did it with? We did uh, Gene Lake and Gene, Nathan East. Nathan East was great, man. And it Lenny, was so Castro. Fun. Lenny Castro. Lenny oh, Castro. Joey Finger. Bad boy. Yeah. Joey Finger. All the cats, man. Anyways. So far, so good. That was fun. So we just got to do more of that. You do you know? think this is going to be more of a creative period? Do you think that there's going to be a lot of records coming out of this whole, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Warranty? Why not? Why not? You know what's great about it is everybody, everybody who's played on everybody's records. I mean, you know, of course we love to make money doing this stuff, but we're not. We don't care anymore. I mean, we're we're just playing on everybody's records because we want to play. You know, and you miss, hopefully you miss playing. We miss playing. Everybody yeah. misses playing, man. I mean, we like we want to play together, and if it takes doing it on a video, you know, it's we might as well do it in any way we can. And God forbid the five G is going to be able to do us with no latency. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Oh my God! You know what I, th I found is really cool about this is that <laughs> I hate five G. I hate even the concept of it. But anyways, <laughs> we aren't going to go there. This no, is not we that won't kind of that. podcast. Yeah, anyways. Um, being able to reach out to, to use it for that, it'd be great. To what for but, for the yes, speed of, of course, being able speed to do of stuff music at the same yeah. time. It's true. Yeah, yeah. it's great to say? be Sorry. able to um, to reach out to folks that maybe we haven't played with in the past to mm -hmm. engage in these cool little mm -hmm. musical things that uh, we've been producing. And I did that. Was able to do that with uh, Nathan East. And, yeah, and which those guys, cool. and that was so much fun. Well, but, you were at the Nam show when you did all that stuff at the EV booth, correct? That's true. That was uh, that was unbelievable. But uh, it's it's so fun to be able to be creative during this time. And here we are sitting in the studio that you've had for well, twenty years? odd years, thirty years, something like that. Yeah, it's downtown. It's one of the first studios built in Minneapolis, by the way. Mister Bruce Swedeen is the guy that built this studio out of uh, I think it was a vaudeville. Vaudevillian Theater, or 
whatever they were doing some kinds of plays in here or whatever and and turned into a movie theater and then after that in the uh early 50s she came in here and turned it into a recording studio so mid 50s mom yeah. and dad came here and they were she doing did. commercials and they were doing all sorts of stuff for like can we can we say different things why we, not sure ham's beer grain belt you know all the all the beer commercials northwest orient <laughs> northwest orient <laughs> airlines <laughs> That was Daddy, actually. He wrote that. He wrote and, that. Didn't uh, get credit for it. Yeah, exactly right. Don't Bastards. you hate that? Bastards. Jeez. <laughs> That's right. This is, this is a podcast. We can cuss on here, can't we? If you <laughs> want. If you, you want. Much cuss! No. <laughs> Anyways, uh, um, so there's a lot of history in this building, and, and uh, uh, you know, God bless him. Uh, the, uh, Bruce Swedeen, man, of, uh, of, you know, of Michael Jackson fame and, and uh, Quincy Jones. Um, built this and and we've kept it going for all these years and have been able to make music and do what we've done, you know, and and here, yeah, so, and happy belated birthday to yeah Chris to Swedeen. Bruce Swedeen, yeah, happy birthday Bruce, yeah, that's right. So let's go all the way back. All right. So I mean, we stop banging the table too. I know, stop banging. That By end. the way, excuse me. Yeah. Tulips on the table. Yeah, tulips on the table. Put the tulips on your organ. Would but, you? Well, well, I, not right now. Okay. <laughs> not on the podcast. This is anyway. where they go. Anyway, okay. they go on the organ. Anyways. Okay. So because I'm your brother, I know these stories, but I think people will be fascinated to hear about how you got started and decided to pursue music as a living. Did you have a choice? How did it, How did you... Well, you know, we all grew up... Um, all grew up in a house that had music going on all the time. Mom and dad had rehearsals going on all the time. You were a baby. Right. And, uh, and I was growing up and I know that they were, they were doing like rehearsals and, and, um, uh, dad would be doing demos for, for commercials downstairs okay. with his little tape recorder and he'd have a couple of singers down there. He'd be on the piano and they would be doing demos for these things. And so I was always interested in watching that happen because I liked the little intricacies, intricacies of yep. recording and seeing, you know, all that cool shit that was going on. Yeah. So it was like, uh, it, I was, it, it was inevitable that I would get into that scene and, and but besides music, just having pianos and organs all over the house, we were able to go down and, and tinker with them, you know. So you go down there, and I'll, you know, you're you're hearing by by ear. I'm playing things, you know, with one finger and going downstairs on the piano. I'll never forget mom downstairs asking me from the laundry room when we had the piano that was in your in the window that faces out by the, you know, the backyard. Yep. And uh, and I was playing with two fingers playing. Um, well, it was uh, Help by the Beatles. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think in 60, what year was that? 64, 5, maybe? Or was it later than that? Can't remember. Anyways. Um, and I think it was 6 or 7. That I was boom, ding, 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 boom, ding, 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 boom, ding, 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 <laughs> and my mom said self punishment. She, yeah, exactly. I was I'd mad, be mad. You're so mad, at mad at myself. I'd be, <laughs> <laughs> no, true. So she yells from the laundry room and goes, "Honey, do you want to play piano?" And I said, "Yeah." And she said, "Do you want to take lessons?" And I said, "Sure." Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, and yeah. the rest is history. Where did so, you take lessons? So That's we went to, well, you know, we were in Catholic school for eight, mm -hmm. eight years, and I wasn't quite there yet. But as soon as I got in there, 
we took lessons from the school next door, which is Holy Angels, from the nuns. And the nuns taught us piano. They were great teachers, though, I have to say. A lot of them te- really? taught. Um, the ones that taught me theory were wonderful. They, they taught me so much, and it was very interesting to me to listen to theory and learn and play by ear and, and, and be able to learn how to read music. And my main teacher, who was... Uh, I won't mention her name, but she was a, she was a really good teacher, but she was she was very very Catholic, strict, <laughs> very strict. She get the ruler out. No, of her no butt? rulers, but uh, but she would she would be she would get mad at me because I would be playing, you know, and, and I didn't really practice the lesson, and I, I was I was kind of a I was a half off, you know, you know, oh. I'm saying she was, ah, yes, and I would get to the lesson and not really know it, and she would get so frustrated, she would. Get me off the chair and sit down and play it. And it's, no, it's like this. And I went, oh. You'd memorize it. <laughs> memorize it when she was playing it. So so I got by with that one. Is that my nose doing that? You, sk- <laughs> you skated through that one, didn't well, you? Well, okay, a little bit. A little yeah. bit. Eight years of classical piano training. And it was uh, uh, to no avail. <laughs> really? I think it was a good backbone uh, for you, though. Oh, man, are you kidding me? It, yeah. it kept it kept me limber anyway, you know. And... Uh, the, the really the good part about it was learning all the theory and being able to go to the University of Minnesota and doing theory classes and doing theory contests. We'd go in and have to have contests. And of course, we're back then, that was what in the 60s and 70s, right? They would sit you down and they would make you. They would play a scale, and you would have to name all the notes, and you'd have te- to go. It was a test. It was a test, absolutely okay. a test. You'd have to name the intervals. You'd have to name the, the scale, what the name of the scale was, what uh, the chord structure was, that kind of stuff. It was great, man. Wow. I mean, it was really a great teaching utensil for for me, anyway. Yeah. So, so uh, that, well, I'm thinking about this genres that you've played throughout oh. your career, and I think you've played them all. Uh, how does that Jack of all trades? Well, how does that happen? Master because I know none. the family we grew up in was primarily a jazz family, but yeah. since we're the youngest set, right. you were hearing a bunch of different things from our brothers and sisters. Right. We were we, we grew up with rock and pop music. I mean, that's what we did. My mom and dad, they loved jazz and they were kind of they were their pop music was jazz, you know. It was right. more 40s and 50s, not not mm-hmm. real straight ahead bebop stuff, but it was it was more big bandy kind of in that era, and that was mm-hmm. their pop music. We grew up with raindrops keep falling on my head, you know. Well, I did anyway. <laughs> I don't no, know I'm if trying you to did. think of his name, B.J. Thomas. B.J. Thomas, man, absolutely. I don't, know that. I don't know because we liked to sing it. I did. Yeah, we liked to sing it. He sang so good. He had he's soulful, man. He really he's soulful. Good. I dug him. Anyways, that kind of stuff. We grew up with that and the Monkees and the Beatles and. Loved all that music and helped us learn how to uh, how to write some pretty cool stuff. I mean, with the, with the two combo of the two, you know, the jazz, and then it, then it got into rock and roll, and there was Emerson Lake and Palmer, you know, all the keyboard guys that yeah. loved playing organs. So I'd be you know I'd be listening to all the guys who had organ people, you know. When does Todd run organ rent? people organ, organ players organ people? You're one of them, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you're an organ. People. I'm an organ person. Organ people have organs. So when does that. when does Todd Rundgren enter the picture? Well, he was shoot, he he did a long you know in the seventies. He was there in the seventies. He was the piano player, but he was the songwriter. You, you loved him. Oh God, yeah, I loved yeah. him. I grew up with him. Right, soulful boy from Philadelphia. You know him, and uh, of course, then finding out later Daryl Hall, 
and John Oates, he had produced Daryl Hall and John Oates' first record. Right. And of course he sounded Daryl sounded just like him, I thought, <laughs> kinda. Right. But they you know, they kind of grew up in that same era, that that blue eyed soul thing. So I love that. And I and of course I love Stevie Wonder and then you listen to all this t- totally I mean, eclectically different stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, I would listen to just, I mean, crazy stuff. I'd go from, you know, from Led Zeppelin to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer to, to Coltrane. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, uh, yeah, I, that's why I'm a mess. <laughs> no, that's why you know all these things and can say yes to all these gigs. Well, thank you. Yeah, this, it's, uh, it's I, I'm very, very blessed, man, to be able to. To be able to do what we're doing and 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 go out and play different kind of uh, music, different genres, and mentioning like David Sanborn and George Benson and people like that who I love playing music with because right. they you know what they've taught me and and being able to say that I actually played with them and maybe even produce them you know it's a, it's which is a, which is a pretty cool thing yeah talk I'm, a little uh, bit about Rocking Horse. Rocking Horse was the first big rock band that I was in. There was the first rock band that we had when I was in uh, mid high school, probably tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. Yeah, that would be high school. Yep. And uh, it was a great band with bombs and and smoke and all sorts of stuff, man. <laughs> you know, really? but we were doing all the Yes uh, ELP. We were doing. Uh, Yours is no disgrace. You guys remember that song? That was I don't know if you would know, I that. Don't know that. That's one, a, huh? a great big. Uh, I think it was a whole side of a record, man. That yes did. That was great. Huh. What do we call those? That would be a music is musical term. Come on, we can we can pull it out of our butt. <laughs> I don't know. What it's, anyway, I don't either. <laughs> That's how smart we are today. Uh, it goes in spurts, you know. We can be smart for a minute, and then it goes. <laughs> and then she's and then, gone. And then it goes away so really it quick. It was gone. Terribly quick, yeah. Anyways, that's what we played in that band, and I'll, we had the best time. Of course, we were growing up. We were teenagers, bad boys. You know, we'd be running around, and we had our own bus. And, of course, I, I had to drive it. Did you? Well, yes. I just, All right. <laughs> not good. Oh, Not boy. good. But I, I I drove it really well. That made me such a professional, brother. I was is that, is that right? Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. They would have me driving training the bus grounds. because yes, that was training ground for me. Got it. And we would play, you know it's just the five state area. We would do gigs and and that was really a good learning experience for me to find out really what was going on as far as like. And this is when I borrowed mom's organ. She had an M three, a Hammond M three, which is a little spinet, funky ass organ. Oh yeah. And and I would take that. I mean, in the beginning, I would take it without her knowing. <laughs> Sorry, I thought. Mom. I thought. Oh yeah. Well, you know, and, but she'd be gigging, so I'd have a I'd leave for the day, and I don't know if she'd even come home and walk by it and go upstairs and not even notice that it was gone. I don't know. But anyway, she knew it to the. Of course, she did. And and for that matter, I I a great story about mom in that era was when we first got. A synthesizer, you know, our family got a synthesizer. I I told her about. You got it. I got her because to buy us. It. I loved it so much, and I told her, "Mom, this is a, such a great instrument." That what is it? What, what, what it was what a mini moog. Okay. It was a mini moog. Yeah, yeah. It was the and the serial number was two thousand at the time. That was I wow. mean that was like one of the first ones made. The first one in Minneapolis, anyway, that anybody owned. And my mom bought it. Thank you, mom. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mom. And I was sat there, and I've learned that thing, man. And we had the best time with it anyways. 
so needless to say, that was all the Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, and the Yes, and the, you know, uh, all, all the different rock bands that, we, that had keyboard players in it that had played synthesizers and that stuff. So that was Rocking Horse, and then so, it just so moved you, on. You started playing organ at that early age. So you've been I did. I loved your, it. Yeah, yeah. Your entire I, life. I just loved it, man. But it was first. It was rock organ because yeah, people yeah. know you as some people know you as a funk. You yeah, know, it's monster an monster uh, uh, on the uh, on the organ no, on everything. Nice. Thank you. But here you are playing with the biggest rock band in the world. Stuff that I loved. I grew up with it. You grew, you know? but you loved all these different genres. So I it's did. not far off the path. Exactly right. Exactly right. And I and I enjoyed listening to all of it, man. I really did. It wasn't like you know. Of course, you grow up and you can be a kind of a bastard and be like poo poo and stuff all the time and going. Ah, that stuff sucks. In and then you know, but if you hang around people <laughs> right. like that, then you're going to be like that. So, you you know, you try to you try to listen to everything and, and get it in your brain and go, well, okay, I see, I see the love in it. You know what I mean? Right. So, and it takes a long, takes a lifetime to get to that point where you can actually sit and listen to everything, find the love. <laughs> right. No, it's so, true. It you got to make true. that your own. Yeah. Because you've got so many different influences coming in, whether it's Jimmy exactly. Smith or. Oh, yeah, from which I love, of course. Keith Emerson or whatever. Oh, you, you made it funny, your own, man? and you are, that's why you're a first call well, keyboard player well, in the studio you, and on the road. So you just didn't wake up one day and touring with all these rock stars. You paid your dues. Tell me a little bit about some of the bands that you played with yeah. early on. Growing up, um, after the Rocking Horse debut, and the end of that, kind of the, towards the end of uh, high school, um, I got into starting to play more of the the poppy R and B funk kind of stuff, and we had a band called Emerald, okay, uh, with Patty, our our sister, and um, with a, a great bunch of guys. They're all older than me, you know. They were in their twenties, and I was I was still a young kid at the time. But that was another learning experience for me, um, and we did that through I don't know three or four years. And then after that, I found a band called, uh, um, what was it, uh, uh, Shortcake oh. with Sparky Bement and, there you and go. John Finger and Dan Fashing and all these just mm. great musicians. And that went on and we were doing Steely Dan and, you know, all the little more more difficult songs and that kind of thing. And and then that went on to another R&B band called Good Vibrations with uh, Rocky Robbins and Oh man, Josh and, Weaver yeah, on bass. Josh Weaver on bass oh. and, and and we went on just kind of kept going and going and and this is where I was introduced to some people uh, Billy our brother was playing jazz with people like Ben Sidron. Mm -hmm. And this is where I was introduced to Ben Sidron in the early 80s and he would come out and he was trying to do a little bit more R&B jazzy funky kind of stuff and he would hire me to come in and program for him and in the studio. In the studio right, okay. exactly. Yeah. Well, he's so the this one. time you were still doing studio we're sessions. All, well, we're doing studio. Yeah. Well, I mean, that goes back. That's a whole other thing during all that time that I'm talking about. I'm in the studio singing jingles right. too with Patty and and all the the people here in in Minneapolis, you know, we're doing Dairy Queen commercials and and Salad Chuda, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All the good ones, you know. Uh, what Anyways, was that? Salad I, hey, with Salad Judah. <laughs> it's like if I was the king of the forest. <laughs> That's my uh <laughs> okay. Anyways, so you're session boy during day and and, and, and going and playing at night and and, and yes, it, it class took action class too. Class action, okay. absolutely. It's the same same genre of music and uh 
And that was during the disco times. And then Class Action went away, and then we started a band with Doug Maynard. Or, oh. they were already, yeah, he had our, our already had a band. And then I would play with his band that turned into the TC Jammers, and then it went on from sure. that. But now back to Ben Sidron, he's the one that would come out and see us play, and, and he loved watching us, and he was fascinated by the grooves and all that stuff. So that's why he came in and got us to come in and start playing grooves for him because hmm. he wanted to go that route. And now at that time, he introduced me to Tommy LaPuma. And Tommy LaPuma, who is, of course, the, the jazz virtuoso uh, producer who did uh, George Benson's first big record. He did Barbara Streisand's record. Right. He did Diana Crawl. Uh, just you know, all sorts of people. But the nicest guy in the world, the poor guy, had to come and to meet me. Ben brought him to meet me, which was hilarious because my brother Billy and I lived in a place we called the Portland Arms. Oh, ho, ho, ho. oh yeah. So the Portland Arms is uh, right down here in in. in Minneapolis, south South Minneapolis, and uh, the place was not beautiful. It was foggy. Let's, it was <laughs> it's super foggy. I, I think I had Fred the mouse living in my mattress. <laughs> you and, had neighbors, uh, and they were yeah. mice. But this was the only place that you would walk into that was so ghetto, but it was a it was a triplex, right? And uh, doubly owned it, <laughs> right? And anyways. So Portland Arms was a place uh, in southern South Minneapolis that was pretty funky, but it was the only place that we uh, had. Billy and I lived there with a couple other people. It was a, it was a triplex. There were you know different apartments in there, but we were the only guys who had you know kind of a ghetto house that had a, 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 the front porch was completely broken. Yeah, and yeah, you you could fall, easily fall down before you get into our door. Right, but you open our door and there's a beautiful, lovely C7 Grand <laughs> Yamaha piano with right. a B3 in the corner, a set of drums, great amplifiers, but eight basses, a huge television set. I mean, this this is after we had made some money and did you know pretty good in, uh, you know doing commercials and stuff. Right, in a, in a Corvette out front. <laughs> So so Ben brought Tommy. Ben brought Tommy to the Portland Arms. Portland Arms, and this is what Tommy LaPuma walked up and he went. We're gonna break away for a second here so I can tell you about a couple really important items. Number one, we have a brand new highlights page on YouTube. We want you to check it out. It's especially made by our intern, Jake Miller, for people who don't have quite enough time to sit through the entire video podcast. It's a great way to catch up on some great tidbits of information from all of our guests. You're going to have to search for it, I'm afraid, just simply because we need more subscribers on there in order for us to get a custom URL. But it's Music on the Run Highlights. You know what else is on there, you guys? A brand new feature that we've been doing strictly on Fridays. It's called Funk Friday. Got to have a little funk for your weekend. We feature great musicians, some former guests, some future guests. And it's a little one to two minute vignette of us jamming and funking out. And it's a great way to kick off your weekend. It's called Funk Fridays every Friday. Check it out. It's on the Music on the Run Highlights Reel. And of course, you'll find it on Facebook and Instagram as well. All right, let's get back to the interview. When Tommy LaPuma walked up and he went, 
what the hell are you bringing me to, man? He said, Ben, what is this? He said, this is where the guys live, you know. And here he opens that front. He had, and, and poor Tom, he had, he had a bad leg. So it was, it, was, it was scary for him to kind of walk towards our front door because the whole porch well, it was, was booby-trapped. Yeah, it was kind of booby-trapped. The whole it was thing bad. was. He I could have gone right through the floor, and, and we wouldn't have known it. He's a little man. <laughs> Anyways, where's Tommy? I don't know. <laughs> just disappeared. So I opened the front door. Tommy just went. You know, he had this one little gesture that he would yeah. always do. Yeah, and and he just walked in and was so elated. And we sat and we played music and we had a ball. And uh, from then on, we became very very good friends. And and the whole point was that Ben wanted to produce a record for me with Tommy's blessing. And we ended up doing one for Warner Brothers in 1989, and and Ben was a part of that, a, a huge part of of me it be introducing me to all these great musicians, you know, because of that scene, because right. of Tommy Lapuma. It was Tommy and Ben who uh, you know introduced me to Sanborn, and then it went on. It just kind of domino effect, you know. Ben told me a story when I interviewed him for the podcast that he went and interviewed Miles Davis. With Tommy, and after that interview, they stopped by Pat Rain's house. Right. Pat Rain said he was looking for a keyboard player for David Sambor. Exactly right. And Ben said, I've got your guy. Yeah. That's what exactly year is right. that? 80, 83 and a half, 84, maybe, the beginning of 1984. And you were in Samoa at this time, right? I think it was Samoa. Okay. Yes, very good. You yeah. got the call from New York. Was it, was it Samoa or was it TC Jammers? I can't remember. I think Samoa because Samoa. I was I was subbing for you and coming oh. in. I was probably playing in Samoa at that time when I was in high school with you. I thought it was T. Anyways, doesn't matter. I, yeah, Samoa it probably was because that was over at, at Felty's. Yep. Yes. And uh, what was going to be your question so I can go on from there? Uh, so that was 80, 83 and a half. Yeah, 84. And you got the call. You Did you have to audition I for, for you know uh, Sidron? Yeah, I'm sorry, for called, Sanborn? Sanborn called me after that, and he said, can you put a band together for me? And it kind of was my audition, audition anyway. And he wanted me to put a band together, and I put a band together in Minnesota and, and made a demo tape of one of his songs. And we did it at Metro Studios, and it was right, Gordy, right. me, Billy. I had Billy on bass, and then I think I had Billy, you. our brother. Yeah, Billy, our brother. And I, did you play bass on I don't it too? Think I think so. I, I can't remember. I think you might have done a pass on okay. it. Anyways, and I think Kenny Holman was playing saxophone, playing alto. And we, yeah, run for cover. Is that what that was? I think so. Yeah. Anyways, we did that song and sent it to him, and of course, he didn't. He loved what I was doing, so that was kind of my audition for that scene. Right. And he brought me out to New York, and he said, "Okay, well, um, thanks for doing that." Right? <laughs> you know, he did. He thought it was great, and everybody played their butt off. You know, they could have done that gig in a heartbeat, and um, um, but he wanted a little bit more close to uh, to, uh, to his home in New York. So mm -hmm. we ended up having auditions for other players in New York, and we did that. Uh, and it was Hiram Bullock was kind of spearheading that one you know, at that time. And, and Hiram was good, the, the guitar player. Why 
David wanted me to try to put a band together here in Minnesota. He just wanted to see what I could do. So I think it was my audition. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, that's that's how that became. And then I was with David for thirty years after that. And when Hiram left, I became the musical director for him. So. Right. You know, or helpful anyway in, in musical directing. But while you're doing all these stuff, yeah. all this stuff on the road, you made this record for Warners. That yes. was a huge yeah. success in the jazz slash R and B world. It was called adult contemporary at the time, right? And then it turned into a smooth jazz effect. And short shortly after that, there was no smooth jazz, and it. it was kind of adult contemporary. I think right. it was called. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I was juggling. And then then Ben introduced us to Steve Miller. Right. Talk about juggling, man. It was like, really. Sanborn, your own solo career, Steve Miller band, and you did a record with Steve. And at the time, I was at Paisley Park with Prince, too. I was juggling all four of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time out. Time out. (laughs) That's a whole other story. You have to go back to... One thing, because I think you omitted one a crucial one. thing. Yeah, about 1979, no, you get a phone call to join a certain band. Tell me about oh, that. Oh, boy, yeah. We forgot about that one. Well, that's 1979, Prince. Um, I, was in, I was in the band with... Uh, with Can Doug I Maynard. do one thing here? Yeah. I'm going to... Little brother myself here. I'm going to... There we go. Okay. <laughs> My chair was higher than Ricky's. That's okay. I had yes, to come I got down the, to I got the Grandpa Geese chair so <laughs> so I can be comfortable. Okay, so Prince so, called you. Well, what happened is that I had been rehearsing. I'd be, he'd had rehearsals in the house that they had in Edina. And uh, he also had a little uh, rehearsal hall that was called Dell's Tire Mart. Okay. And that was in on Seven Corners in, in St. Paul and, and the, the kind of the... The border of St. Paul and Minneapolis. Anyways, um, I would go with Jimmy Bowman over to the house in Edina and and jam with Prince. And he knew him. He was hanging with these guys at this time. And Jimmy and I were friends for years sure. since, since we were kids. And uh, so I'd be in the basement and uh, we'd be playing. We had a ball. We had fun. Prince, Prince never really thought anything of it but that you know but he really had fun i got smiles from him when i was playing with him and was jamming i'd go right. in there and jam with him and that was the size of it not thinking anything about it you know we were probably trying to look for some 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 other extracurricular things to do and of course that household never had it but anyways we would <laughs> we would go down there and have fun have a few beers and, and play and one day this is after about two or three times i they brought me upstairs he and uh Owen Husney was his manager at the time. Mm, right. And those guys brought me into the living room and they asked me if uh, I'd be interested in playing with the band, which would be the revolution, I would think, at that time. Yeah. Or beginning of it anyway. Right, you know? the beginnings of it. I don't yeah. think he actually called it anything. No, he didn't yet. really have it, but I think it was the beginnings of revolution. Absolutely revolution. right. Anyways, that um, and I had to walk away and, and think about it. You know, I, I wasn't. Oh yeah, I'd love to do that. And this is right when Prince was putting out "For You." This is after he had recorded that seventy nine, right? I think sound eighty seventy nine. He did it all at Sound eighty, where we did all our commercials. And I remember him being across the hall when we were singing in the land of Dairy Queen. He's in there going, you know, we playing everything, playing all these, doing everything. But anyways, uh, uh, 
so I thought about it. I was playing with that other band, and and I loved doing that. And I was about to go play with Good Vibrations, I think again, or something. At, was it that time? I, I can't remember. It's that's it's so long ago. I was playing with. Anyways, I turned them down. That was the bottom line. I said, Nah, I don't want to do it because I knew what it entailed. I knew that I had to sit and play exactly what he wanted, and have to you know do dance steps and do all sorts of stuff i knew that was what it would involve <laughs> i would have like, loved to seen that it would have never happened oh, man. Come on. I, I just i would have loved that not gonna do it brother come on you can do suit. it way much better way better than i put could. on I'm the fishnets not a coordinated man <laughs> put on <laughs> the fishnets yeah put on the fishnets yeah, stockings and, yeah, a, and, a, oh, and a mask i would have oh. given so much money to see that oh, big brother it's, it's just terrible anyways um that was that one that turned down. But you date. fast forward 10, so 15 back, years. Yeah, 10, 15 years. He and I always, right after Purple Rain came out, I'd go see him. And I, I would I would be, you know, he would say, of course, you know, let Ricky in. He'd be, you know, he's part of the deal. So I'd go and i never forget, I went to Chicago and saw him do the first Purple Rain. We went over to the old Met Center and watched him rehearse Purple Rain. Yep. I thought it was the coolest thing that I ever saw in my life. Because he had he had the props, you know, where he would pop up on one side, right. and two seconds later he's on the other side. And people right. were like, ah, you know, it was wonderful. Anyway, but he he enjoyed my company when I was there. He you know eventually invited me to come to Paisley Park and uh, and do some stuff over there. And we ended up, you know, after I went there because Tom Tucker, our friend. I mean, it, there's a lot of history here that we could go on. There's oh. 8,000 different stories that could go on. But Tom and I ended up working together as a team, recording other people, and we would go in to Paisley Park because it was the only great studio in town. You rented point. Paisley Park. We, we would go in and rent. And then we ended up, I think Tom actually helped build and and, and get all the equipment for these guys mm. because... Um, he was very into that, and he had just moved to the Twin Cities, I think. Um, probably not just, but um, this is something that he could do. He could run the studio part right. of it. And he did that, and, and, of course, we were best friends, and I was working on a lot of stuff, so I would eventually just came in there, and I knew everybody in the building. Right. And they and they just open-armed me and said, come on up. We have a, we have a room upstairs for you, man. You know, So I had a room at Paisley Park from 19... 90 through 98 or something like that, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember the, the real dates, you guys, but something like that. I think we were, you were out of there. I say we because uh, I've moved in with you. Uh, he said, little brother, why don't you come and hang out with me? Yeah. So uh, that's how I went back in uh, to Paisley was because of right. his relationship with Prince. But you were, right. long story short, he made you a staff producer at Paisley Park, he did. did he not? He did. He gave me a couple of, threw me a couple of bones, man, is what he did, because I was in there with David Z for years. David Z is another person that I hung out with for many, many years and did a lot of great music with. And that, uh, of course, is Bobby Z's brother, who was a drummer with um, with the Revolution. Right. And uh, so David and I did a lot of productions together, including the Jets. That was Fine one Young them. Cannibals. Fine Young Cannibals. And we did... Uh, um, Colin Young, um, um, a bunch of different uh, cool things. And he knew that I was in there and I was working. I was working every other studio and doing that and then juggling, playing with you, with uh, playing with Sanborn and then Steve playing with Miller Band. Miller Band yeah. And, and my career and doing going to Japan with Ben and doing that stuff and, and you know, Sadao Wantanabe and 
Anyways, that it was it was a it was a wonderful time for me. Hectic as hell, is obviously. You were busy. You yeah, were working. It was really, yeah, it was it was great, and it was a what a wonderful experience for me to be able to do that and then share it with Paul. We, Paul came in, and and this is after Paul had his little his little maybe a spat as we would call it. <laughs> Go listen family. to episode one if yeah. you want to know what he's talking about. Yeah, the family and Prince, and uh, Paul had his own career at the time, but. I wasn't very welcome in the Paisley Park, so I kind of snuck him in a few times just to play on some of the tracks that I was doing for He Prince. sure did. So I was producing. Uh, he, when I said he threw me a bone, he would throw me a bone like the first bone he threw was, uh, 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 no, oh, um, was Mavis Staples was one of them. Um, Nona Gay. Yeah. Um, there was a few other ones too. And then when he heard that stuff and went, wow, that's pretty smoking. He enjoyed what we had done to that. And and Paul's playing bass on this stuff, and I don't think he knew that. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. And he loved every minute of it. But as soon as he found out who it was, because I'm sure he had to see the roster of people on the record, right? <laughs> he didn't kick me out. I could, no, he let me stay. No, no, so. no, 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 no That way. was nice of you to let me come and oh, hang out well, with Well, of course. Anyways, we had to get that aired out anyway so that ended up doing uh he handed me a t cassette tape of the most beautiful girl in the world and it had some garbled keyboards on it and it had uh um his guitar part and his all his vocals and it was like i couldn't decipher really what it was but i asked one of the engineers one of the one of the techs you know he's they said and tom tucker i said do you guys really think this is a hit and they said it's a smash trust us and i'm like okay so I took it and I deciphered what I thought he was going for, which ended up pretty much arrangement of mine. Yeah, that ended up being the most beautiful girl in the world, which was his last number one hit. Jeez. Yeah, and probably one of the biggest hits that he ever had that he did out of the Warner Brothers contract. That was he did it with a, a company called Bellmark. Okay, and that was the only one when he was wearing Tav cap on his, you know, uh, or slave. It was and we slave. called him Taff Cap because he was the uh, the the, the artist, only, the artist, the artist formerly known as Prince. Taz Cat Taff Cap. Anyway, so anyways, there's yeah. my Prince story. So that went on, and I was at Paisley Park for years, and we ended up producing very many, very many groups there, including George Benson. Of course, Paul was there for all that. Favorite record I've ever done with you was oh, that one. God, it was so besides great. our own stuff, of course. Oh but. man, yeah, and of course I did all my records there, and. Um, and he produced most of them, and just because I can't do it all, I hear <laughs> I you. Need help. I he need produced help. my first record, yeah. so yeah. So, anyways, that was a great thing for both of us to really to get to be able to be a part of. I mean, that was mm -hmm. history, man. All that was history. Kind of before we got to share that. Yeah, we did. That was fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Man. See, Don't we're touch touching. Me. We're touching. Touch me, brother. Stop touching me. So anyways. you, we left in. We, you left in 1996. Yeah, I left in 1996, and of course I was still with David Sanborn at the time. Um, some other opportunities came up during the 2000s. I, I uh, you're gonna have to help me, but I, I know I, I came up in, in Boss Gags, Boss, a lot of, lot of different little mm -hmm. things like that, and they weren't long runs. Um, I did John Mayer for a year. I did the Continuum record with him. Talk to me about Bonnie Raitt. And That's then Bonnie Raitt about. after that, after that fact. And, yeah. uh, 
Bonnie Raitt was one of my favorite artists that I've ever worked with because she's the sweetest thing in the world, and her brother was one of my dearest friends in the world. Who lived here in Minneapolis and who was a sound man? He was Steve Raitt. Yeah, Steve Raitt was one of our dearest friends, best buddy. I mean, he lived on the lake, Mm -hmm. and that's how I met Bonnie, and we... Had the band, the TC Jammers, that we mentioned before, was right. one of her mainstays. When she would come to town, she would use that band as her, you know, as her backup band for her to do a solo gig. So that's how I got to know her. And then Steve succumbed to a, a, a brain injury, a brain um, tumor, and uh, but lived for eight years. And uh, we so we became very close. Steve and I did, and then Bonnie and I became very close because of that. And so I ended up kind of helping her along and and trying to be as, as helpful as I could and playing in her band. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie. The year Steve passed, you yeah. you played with Bonnie and kind of held yeah, her I up. Yeah, I kind of held her up. I, well, as much as I could. We, everybody yeah. was holding her up, but she... Had, I played with her before that, though. I mean, I was in the band before that all happened. I can't keep I, it I all straight. he was there... When he kind of went down, and I was still rehearsing. I was rehearsing with her, and I remember, so I was with her for about three years before he passed. Anyways, that was a wonderful experience for me because she's one of my favorite singers on the planet and, and songwriters and, and just overall person in yeah. general, which is wonderful. And then it goes on to Stevie Nicks, who is another— Tell me how you got that gig. Um, after I was done with John Mayer, I was with— our friend Lenny Castro, and Lenny Castro had done a few cameo appearances with uh, with um, John, and I was in the band for that year after we had done the record with Steve Jordan and, mm-hmm. and Pino Palladino and a few other wonderful musicians. Um, we uh, went on tour for that whole year of that record, a year and a half or something like that. And after that year and a half was done, I had left and gone. It said, well, I asked uh, Lanny, I said, what are you going to do? Because he knew he was, we were kind of going to be done with that scene. John kind of goes through bands like he goes through underwear. Hairstyles. Yeah, hairstyles. <laughs> underwear, whatever. I should talk. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, loved doing that gig, by the way. It was a really good one. But he said, I'm going to go, uh, I think I'm going to go play some rock and roll with Stevie Nicks. And I said, really? And he said, wow, Stevie Nicks. Wow, that's a trip. Do they need a keyboard player? And he went, I think they do. Really? I, went, I, Are you I don't know the story. This is great. Yeah, absolutely the story, man. I, I said, wow. really? And I said, I'd be happy to do, uh, can you tell her that I'm interested? And um, and he did. And unbeknownst to me, I, I for, didn't know this, but I, I found out that my old pal from New York, Waddy Wachtel, is playing guitar with her as the musical mm-hmm. director of the band. And an old friend of mine, uh, uh, well, besides Lenny, was uh, Carlos Rios, mm. uh, who played with, uh, oh, geez, well, he played with, played with everybody. Me, played with everybody. But he did Brother to Brother. He did Gino, Gino Vanelli's. He did oh. Gino Vanelli's record, which was wonderful. Anyways, so these guys are in the band, <coughs> and, and, excuse me, um, who is it? Uh, Waddy calls me up and says, "You know, you got to come if you're if you're really interested." They were going, "Really, you're interested in doing this?" Because they think I'm a jazzer. You know, it's like, no, yeah, I'm a rock guy first. You know, and 
And I said, of course. And he said, well, you got to come and audition. I said, I'd be happy to audition, man. I'm happy to do it. I think it'd be so fun, man. Right. Yeah. And of course, lucky for me, we were old friends, but uh, I was I was there and I auditioned and I was there with a bunch of other keyboard players and I just happened to be the guy who got the job. So, mm. so we uh, became a one big happy family, been there for 13 years. And uh, of course, off and on with Sanborn during this time also. Right. And different bands and different things with you, doing a lot of stuff with you and the Peterson brothers and yeah. and doing other records. And so it's it's all been a just a blessing, man. And and I'm just happy to, that we're doing this together. Yeah. I'm going to cough. But you, go ahead. <coughs> I'm going to cough because I choked on this. Did you? A little no. bit. It Don't choke kinda, on the water. Anyways, no. Choke on the water. On the water. Carved, what do they call it? I don't know. COVID. <laughs> COVID Carver. So you're you're a road dog. You've been on the I've, road I have. 100% yeah. of your life. Mm -hmm. Since this is music on the run. Yes, it is music on the run. And we talk a little bit about... We're talking a lot is what we're doing. Well, I we, love it. This is great. It reminds you, me of this, the day I was... Yeah, yeah, you have to tell the story. These, I mean, I'm telling you, the the, the fans wanted to hear about you, oh, that's so that's so why we're. Cool, man. I'm but happy to do. We it. have well. to share how you survive. Oh, I survived. The, period. No, well, <laughs> how you? Yeah, that's a that's the first question. Yeah. How did you? How do you survive on the road? Uh, because yes. you're there all the time. You've been married for yep. 30, 32, 32 years, years to Luann. Yep. Yeah. How does somebody do that when they're on the road all the time? And how carefully. Do you and how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> you do it carefully, man. Well, back in the in the early days, you didn't really take care of yourself because we were infallible. We were you young. Know, yeah. Yep. I you know, I mean, get we, it. And we, you know, we abused ourselves as much as possible. And, <laughs> That's and exactly what Lenny Castro said. Yeah, said, and we 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 came back and and uh, and could come back in a day and be been ready to go and do it again. You know, right. So what happens is the older you get, your body can't take that anymore. So I I was lucky enough to not go down the dark side, dark path. You know, so right. And I saw a lot of people go away and do that and, and, and leave the planet, which is not fun for me. So I chose not to do that. And, right. and especially in the last few, not, not few, the last 15 years, I've learned to pace myself on the road. When you're, when you're working, you go out and I have, I have my routine down where you, where you get up and you go to the gym. You know, I have my little, my banana and I, I would go down to the gym yeah. and I would do my, Mile and a half on the treadmill, you know, and then I would do my little weights and then I would stretch and I'd be ready for the day. And then, that, you know, but to spend about an hour, maybe an hour and sure. 15 minutes in the gym or whatever, not, not long. Yep. But then we'd end up going strolling. You know, I'd take one of the guys, you know, we always love walking and whatever, wherever place that we're at, I would go walk. We'd walk for three, four miles in whatever city we're in, we would walk and stroll. Nikki and I, forget yeah. it. That's all we did. Stroll and then. Then go have lunch, you know. Right. And then if it was a day off, then we'd start drinking. <laughs> you know. So, and that's how they survive on the road on music on the exactly run. Exactly right. right. But you know what? You just gotta pace yourself. And that's the bottom line because my body couldn't take it anymore. It's just like there's no recovery. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do what we used to do, there's no way you could have and maintain a gig. You know, things change the older you get, doesn't it? Oh man, you yeah. know, and I and I like the way we are now because it's it's 
you know, we like Billy, our brother says we got five minutes left, man. Yeah. You know, True. at the age I'm in, and right now we have no idea how much time we got left with this crap that's going on. You know, so um, we're I'm happy to do it, and I'm happy to be here playing music for everybody. And cheers to you, brother. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, I, I'm not quite done with you yet. Well, that's okay. You keep going, but I just want to let well, you know. Well, I love you. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is so fun to have you finally. <laughs> I take a, took a little cajoling to get him on. He was like, ah. Yeah. yeah. But we, we, but sure we it's got It's like him. Sanborn, man. Once you get him talking, he doesn't shut up. I'm so glad. <laughs> He's great at it, man. He, I, he taught me a lot. I love David. What's next for you? What's the next plan? Uh, well, you know what? Right now we're just finishing up with, with uh, I had a plan for the Peterson Brothers back about three years ago. Uh, we did a record. I just went in for a few days with the guys and we, uh, Billy and Paul and I and Jason, our nephew, um, J.P. Delaire, he goes by, and uh, played alto saxophone. And it's a great little funk um, quartet that just sounds great, man. And, and we've, we've been sitting on it for a minute because we wanted the right right station to put our right uh, genre to put it out on or what what's the word i'm looking for not not label but the right time you know to to get it out to people right. and it just never seemed like plus the right you're time. busy and everybody's traveling all over the map it was hard to get everybody together to finish what we started and uh, we're finally done with it and i'm hoping that we can get that out and and you know it, within the next non-covid year you know and put it out and go right. out and, and and tour that you know with the with the four of us man or the five of us or whoever right you know we could we could do a whole thing that would be so great man but that's what's in my future and what about a solo record um come on and, you know i'm always come i'm on. always putzing around with it i'm putzing i got some things in the in the basket man but uh nothing concrete yet okay you know? so Brother, but, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, of course, man. Are you kidding on. me? This is great. This I, hope is a, it, I hope you edit the shit out of this. <laughs> no, we're going to leave it all fly. <laughs> well, Everybody, Ricky you. Peterson on thank Music you. on the Run. Thank you for joining us. We love you. We'll see you next time. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Recorded and produced by Davide Razo. Video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. A very special thanks to the patrons who financially support this podcast. And remember, Rick is my brother and a fat ad too.